What is friendship? When you think of friendship, what does it look like for you? How do we love our friends? Well, if you were to ask my generation or younger, what is friendship or what does friendship look like? Many of them might respond with Facebook or social media. Nowadays, all ages are on Facebook, and of course, our youth are on Snapchat and Instagram, not just our youth, but uh, all kinds of social networking going on nowadays. But all these social network sites are places where you can um, post info about yourself, you can post pictures, let everyone know what you're doing or thinking at every moment of every day. They're all places where you can connect with people. And the way you do that, specifically on Facebook, um, is by adding friends. One of the features of Facebook is its search engine. Uh, if you wish to connect with an old friend, an old classmate, um, a current friend, or someone maybe you just met, you type their name into the search engine and to see if they have an account on Facebook. If they do, you click on their name, and you'll be asked to add them as a friend. Now, here's the thing. That click does not automatically make them your friend on Facebook. The other person has to confirm you as their friend in order for you to see their page, for, in order for them to see your page, and in, in order for the two of you to communicate on the site. For the most part, I think Facebook is a great way to connect and to communicate with old and new friends, along with all the other uh, social media Science. But I got to thinking about how Facebook has changed how we look at friendships. As I said before, you can become friends with someone on Facebook simply by one click of the mouse, one click of your finger. And really, the word friend is kind of being stretched a little bit there. It's really exaggerated. I have so-called friends on Facebook that I barely know who they are, and some people I don't even know who they are. Actually, Facebook has become not really about the quality of friends you have, but the quantity of friends that you have. It's about the number of friends you have. At the time I was preparing this sermon, I had uh, 926 friends on Facebook with a few re friend requests uh, still pending my approval, uh, deciding if I really wanted to be their friend or not. Um, and I'm sure we have people in this room who have more friends than that on Facebook or other social media sites. But I tell you the truth, there is no way in the world that I have 926 friends. Not real close friends with whom I'm willing to share everything with. I might have a handful of those kinds of friends. And as easy as it is to add a friend on Facebook or other social media sites, it's just as easy to delete or ignore friends on Facebook. Whenever someone sends you a friend request on the site, you have the option to add them as a friend or to ignore their request. With one click of the button, one click of the finger, you can simply ignore their request. And even after you've added someone as your friend, you can delete them from your friends list with a simple click, 
Or you can hide them from your news feed so that you, you know, maybe you got one of those crazy friends that's just like posting all over the time. You can hide them from your news feed so you don't have to see them um, post, but you can still be friends on Facebook. If only adding and deleting and ignoring our real friends were that easy. In fact, I came across an article online that gave us uh, five ways to unfriend a friend. I want you to listen to these carefully. First, the article tells us to be rude. We're to ignore the other person's phone calls, emails, and texts. Secondly, erase their numbers, as you would after a bad breakup with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Third, don't make plans with them. Or if you can't avoid them completely, limit the amount of time you spend socializing with them. Fourth, just simply start referring to them as your former friend. That'll do it. Your emotions will catch up to your logic, and you'll begin to understand that the friendship is over. Finally, if you happen to miss them after the breakup is complete, meet up every three months or so. The friendship will feel fresh but familiar and you won't be uh, completely cutting them out of your life, just downgrading them to friendly acquaintance. Do you notice something about that list? Not one of those suggestions encouraged us to go directly to the other person, either to try to reconcile things or to simply end the relationship face-to-face. You see, I believe we are losing touch as to what it means to be a friend. Friendship has become what an acquaintance used to be. Friendship has become what an acquaintance used to be. It's almost as if we don't want to be in a real, real relationship with other human beings. We either don't want to be emotionally attached for fear of heartache if the relationship ends, or we don't want others to keep us accountable for our actions. So we revert to the internet where we don't have to see each other face to face. We've become comfortable with clicking the ignore, ignore button either on Facebook or in real life. We need to learn what real friendship is about, and I think Job's story teaches us how to be friends to others. When you think of the book of Job, the first word that you might think of is probably not friendship. But the book of Job is as much about friendship as it is about dealing with God in a time of suffering and testing. Most of this book is filled with conversations Job has with these three friends that were mentioned in our passage. And we can learn a lot from Job's friends. We learn from both the good they did and the bad that they did. If you know the story of Job, you know that Job was caught in the middle between God and Satan. Satan was convinced that if he had his way with Job, who was considered blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, that even a man like Job would turn away from God. God says, go ahead and give it your best shot. And so at this point in the story, Job has lost everything. His livestock has been killed. His servants has been, have been killed. His sons and daughters have been killed. And in our passage, Satan afflicts Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. 
They were all over his body. The, the sores hurt so much that Job takes a broken piece of pottery and begins to scrape his skin with that broken piece. Yet while all this has happened, Job remains sinless. Through it all, during all these trials, Job remains sinless against God. Now, just because Job has remained sinless, it doesn't mean he's not hurting and grieving. Listen to Job's condition and how his friends initially respond. When Job's three friends hear about his suffering, they immediately set out to his home to sympathize with him and comfort him. The scripture says that when they approached Job, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they, they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Our passage paints the perfect picture of friendship. Job's friends came to comfort him and to sympathize with him. They wept with him. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights, and they didn't utter a single word. I mean, for some of y'all, that'd be, a, that'd be a trial. I mean, that'd be a test. You'd be suffering right along with him, wouldn't you? They didn't try to give him advice. They didn't say, I know how you're feeling, because... They didn't know how he was feeling. They didn't say, this must be God's will. That's a favorite. They didn't say anything. They were silent. For those seven days and seven nights, they were perfect friends. I think one of the most important lessons of friendship that we can learn is, is as the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. One of the best ways to love a friend is to learn to listen much and talk little. To listen much and talk little. You know, don't you hate it when you come to a friend? You just need to vent, right? You just need to get something off your chest. You just need to share your emotions to get, you know, get something off your chest just before you, and just before you say that last word, even before you finished, your friend chimes in with some advice. Well, if I was you, I'd dump your boyfriend. If I was you, I'd dump your girlfriend. You know what? You just need to get a divorce. Hey, you know what? You need to quit your job. On and on and on and on. A lot of times, you know what? We, we don't need advice. And listen, this is a struggle. I'm a fixer, you know? Some of you are fixers. And so you want to fix the situation. I'm going to make it right, and that advice, that, that one little bit of advice, that's going to help it, right? But a lot of times, we just, we just need a listening ear. We need someone who will sit there with us and be silent. If we want to establish solid friendships, then silence is the place that we need to begin. You know, but like a lot of things, it's easy to start out well, but it's hard to finish well. Whereas Job's three friends started out with silence, observing Job's suffering and his, 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 his loss and having compassion for him, they inevitably began to pass judgment on Job. In loving our friends, we must learn to hold back our judgment. You know, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of being judgmental in our friendships. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, when we start to give advice, we're really passing judgment on the other person. 
Hear the words of advice from, from Bildad the Shuhite. I mean, I wish he had some better, better naming friends. I don't know. But, um, but one of Job's friends, here's what he says. Uh, later on in chapter 8, he says, but if, but if you, Job, if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and, and upright, even now, he, God, will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. As soon as his friend says, if you will look to God, and as soon as he says, if you are pure and upright, Job's friend has passed judgment on him. He's assuming that Job is not pure and upright. He's assuming that Job is not looking to God. Job's friend has judged Job and has ruled that Job must be in the wrong for God to have brought down this suffering. Because that's the thing we, we believe. I mean, if we suffer, if we're going through any trial, surely something's got to be wrong. We, know, we all know how easy it is for us to pass judgment on one another. It's easy. It's always easier for someone on the outside to see uh, the solution than the one who's in the midst. But simple advice becomes, becomes judgment when we start to condemn the behavior along with offering a solution. We've got to remember that the only one in the universe who is licensed and certified to judge is God. James puts it pretty clearly in, in chapter 4, verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. Guys, God's already got this job covered. The whole judging thing, he's got the job. There's not a job wanted uh, sign out because the job has already been taken. And we make much better friends when we let God do his job and not us do it for him. The last thing we learn about being loving uh, and loving our friends is our need to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Job realized that his friends were having a hard time truly understanding what it was like to walk in his shoes. He said to them in chapter 16, he says, I could also speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. I mean, can you hear his frustration? He's like, if you were in my place, I could do that. I mean, that's easy. He simply wants his friends to understand what he's going through. They began with compassion and sympathy in their hearts, but that was all gone. If only they knew what it was really like for Job. One of the best exercises that we can do in our friendships and when our friends experiencing a painful moment is to mentally, mentally place ourselves in their shoes. For us to imagine what they would be going through. For us to imagine what we would feel like if we were walking in their shoes. When we imagine their hurts and their pain, it helps us from passing judgment and helps us from offering empty words. But not only should we try to walk in their shoes during the rough moments, we should walk with them and in them during their crowning achievements. When we imagine how we would feel if we were celebrating as our friends were celebrating, it helps that our jealousy and our envy from ruining their great moment. The more we mentally walk in our friends' shoes, the better friends we become. 
it's here where I cannot help but see the similarities of being a good friend and of what God through Christ has done for us. In Christ, God walked in our shoes. In Christ, God felt what we feel. In Christ, God walked in our shoes. He hurt the way we hurt. He, he cried the way we cry. He felt joy as we feel joy. He was tempted the way we are tempted. He died as we will all die. And because Christ loved us so much that he walked in our shoes, we are considered friends with Christ. I want you to hear in John 15, Jesus expressed his view of friendship as he spoke to his disciples. And and, and think about him speaking that to us, to each one of us. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. This is my command. Love each other. Friendship is summed up in one word, love. And the love that Christ spoke of is an unconditional love. It is a love that is pure. It is a love that is unselfish. It is a love that puts others above ourselves. It's a love that remains silent when no words are needed. It's a love that holds back judgment, understanding that God is the only one capable and qualified. And it is a love that helps us to walk in the boots and the high heels and the Nikes and the stilettos and the Skechers and the flip-flops of the ones that we love. And if we do not know the love that Christ has for us, then it will be impossible for us to be the kinds of friends we need to be to each other. We have to know the love of Christ before we can really show love to one another. And Christ said it, if we follow this one command to love each other, then we are not just servants of Christ, we are friends of Christ. I want you to know this morning that Christ desperately, desperately wants to be your friend. He wants you to love him as he has loved you. He wants you to seek him as he has sought after you. He wants you to follow his commands as he followed the commands of his heavenly father. Christ wants us to call him friend. I don't know know about you, but I love some James Taylor. May come as a surprise. It's really just because of Toy Story. One of my favorite songs of his is, You've Got a Friend. And these words are great words for us 
to say to each other. But these words also, I believe, express what I think Christ would say to each of us. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me and soon I'll be there to brighten up even your darkest nights. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you got to do is call, and I'll be there. You've got a friend. If the sky above you should, t- should turn dark and full of clouds, and that old north wind should begin to blow, keep your head together and call my name out loud. Soon I'll be knocking upon your door. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Oh, yes, I will see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. Yeah, all you got to do is call, and I'll be there. Hey, ain't it good to know that you've got a friend? Remember what true friendship looks like. Speak little, listen much. Don't judge, and don't forget to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And also remember that in Christ, we have a constant and always loving friend. In Christ, we see the true definition of friendship, that he would lay down his life for each one of us. Stop ignoring Christ and make him your friend. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior. Don't ignore him any longer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have an always loving, constant friend who gave his all, his life, for each one of us. Help us to learn from his example to love our friends, to love one another, to listen much talk little, to leave the judging up to you, for us to put ourselves in each other's shoes. Maybe then we can be the the kind of friend that Christ is to each one of us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.